0: Remember what you said You'll return that I might live In my father's
1: house Inventors, they come up with new ideas on how to go about sinning of evil things. They're disobedient to parents. They're undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving. Unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Folks, these are the people whose minds have betrayed them.
0: Sin leads to more sin. It's a downward spiral that can't correct itself. Instead of seeking out a way to stop it, our inclination will be to justify it and harden our hearts to the convictions we feel. This has happened on a massive scale in our modern world. We've gotten to a point where wrong has been labeled as right and normal. In today's message, Pastor Mike will continue our study of the book of Genesis and help us understand the beginnings of this destructive state that we find mankind in. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 3 as he continues his message the Knowledge of Good and Evil. In my house.
1: Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 21. This is our culture, this is our society on the whole. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile or empty in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Now, get this, verse 24, and this is repeated several times going forward. Therefore, God also gave them up. Man, you might want to underline that phrase. That's their judgment. When we choose not to recognize God and we continue along that course in disobedience, there may come a time where God will give us up. And then as we continue through this list, you'll you'll see what they have been given up to all kinds of vileness, all, a variety of different sins. And so they go onwards to a downward spiral. I shouldn't say onwards, downwards on that downward spiral. So verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Notice again, one time they held the truth, right? They understood the truth, but they abandoned the truth. God gives them up. This is the fruit of that. And they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forevermore. For this reason, and there's that phrase again, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their woman exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. It's sort of like, you know, thrown into prison. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of women. They're talking about homosexuality here, obviously. Burned in their lust for one another. Men and women committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. You know, man, this will put a whole new spin on on the sin of homosexuality. God gave them up. That's their judgment. They've been thrown into prison. They might not even be aware of that fact. You know, they think that they've been vindicated and they've been freed from those feelings and emotions and the guilt of it all that they originally experienced. But the truth of the matter is God gave them up. That's the penalty they're paying. They're submerged into that sin. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. There's the phrase again. Not to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with unrighteous, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors. They come up with new ideas on how to go about sinning of evil things. They're disobedient to parents. They're undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Folks, these are the people whose minds have betrayed them. Betrayed them for what they actually knew. And these are the moderators of these open forums where people come to rid themselves of their guilt. That's what we're dealing with. No, no wonder we are in such, the mess that we are in today here in the United States of America. These experts here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 32, they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve death. That's what the verse teaches. And yet they continue to do those very things themselves and approve of those who practice them. You see that there? Listen, the reasons why we have guilty feelings is why? Because we're guilty. There you go. Oh, man, you don't have to be a genius to figure that one out, right? Why is that? Simply because you are in rebellion against God. And God innately put that knowledge within us. We need to recognize that. Call it what you want. Call it a conscience, your convictions. It's something that God places innately within each and every person. So therefore, if you think about it, then guilt could actually be a good thing the right kind of a guilt, because it will drive you to the great physician for healing, right? And so that's a good thing if, in fact, it has that effect upon your life. So anyway, that's the first manifestation. That's the first effect of knowledge gained by sin and the way that it is manifested through guilt, which leads to denial and blame shifting. Now, That brings us to our second point. The next painful effect of the knowledge of good and evil is shame. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Okay, so how do we get rid of shame? And you've experienced all of these emotions and feelings, right? And uh, the dread of it all, particularly those of us who, well, I don't know if I could speak for you. I'll speak for myself. Uh, Particularly for me. I feel all of these kinds of feelings and emotions because Listen, probably there's no one else here in in this room that, that should know better than me. I've been at this for a long time. I've been teaching God's Word now for like almost 40 years. And I don't know if any of you can make that same claim. I know we have some great teachers here who lead in Bible studies and men's and women's fellowships and stuff. But I've been at this for a long time. I don't think any of you have been at it that long. And so, listen, you know, I would be more guilty of disobeying the Lord than probably any of you, if I, if I in fact succumb to temptation. And when I do, and I do, I'm gonna be honest with you. In fact, the Bible tells us if we say that we have no sin, the truth is not in us and we deceive ourselves. So come on, let's get real. We're all sinners, right? And, but I feel terrible, man, when I sin. And I think, you know, when the Holy Spirit convicts me of my sin, I think, what in the world? What was I thinking of? How could I do that? How can I say that? How could I do this? You know, what's going on with me? I know better. So I'm sure that you can relate to all of these responses, all of these feelings, all of these emotions, how we get rid of, you know, those things, when, when in fact we do succumb to temptation and sin. Now, the next painful effect of the knowledge of good and evil is shame. Okay, so how do we get rid of shame? Well, through concealing it, concealing it. That's how we go about doing that. Go back to chapter 2 and verse 25. Adam and Eve were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. Listen, there was no shame before sin entered in. It was like a big nudist colony there in the Garden of Eden. And uh, there was nothing to be shamed about. You know, they must have had these perfect bodies because if I was in the garden looking the way I would, I would have looked... I would have sewed those fig leaves together even before I chose to disobey the Lord. If I could have found a towel, I would have been walking around a towel or, you know, around me in the garden. But uh, they were not ashamed. And there's a point to all of this because there was nothing to be shamed about. But now all of that was about to change. And the proof of their acute sense of shame was their attempt to cover themselves with garments made with those fig leaves. And fig leaves, why fig leaves? I guess it was probably the closest thing at hand. If there was a towel, they would have probably grabbed a bathroom towel and, you know, clothe themselves in that. That was what was convenient and close and at hand. But it was all about concealing how bad they were before God And when we do it, it's also not only before God, but also before man. With us, it's all about appearances. And appearances, gang, can be deceptive. And we'll use any device and disguise that we can. We'll use uh, humor, you know, and we'll kind of laugh it about it or laugh it away or we'll present it to, you know, those around us in a very humorous or comical kind of a way to excuse our sin, Right? And uh, some of us uh, uh, try to rid ourselves and conceal our sin, you know, using that kind of a a method or a wit or hiding behind the membership of some civil group or organization. You know, oh, that Mike Fenizio, he's such a respectable guy. He's a a card-carrying member of... uh, you know, uh, the Elks Club or whatever, some civil organization that does some good within our culture, within our society. And these are the way that we go about concealing our, our sin. You know, it could also be manifested in the way that we think. You say, what am I talking about? Well, how about focusing in on corporate sin? Because there's safety in numbers. Hey, listen, the majority of the people are stealing from their bosses. It's no big deal. I mean, come on right and and you know if the majority of people are doing it doesn't it establish instead a more for our society and so we're thinking of sin you know the way we think of it we think of it in a rather a uh, corporate sin or how about this we think about uh, you know because everyone's doing it but how about this as well how about some of us think about our passions and we approach it by thinking well, you know, time cancels sin. You know, time cancels sin. We'll forget about it. And, uh, you know, it'll all blow over. Yeah, well, what about its effects? You can't sin without having its consequences and its effects. And unfortunately, sin affects everybody around us. And, you know, I wish that the effect would only be isolated to the person that sins. But usually that's not the case, right? I mean, for example, I cheat on my wife, and it affects my wife. It affects my marriage relationship. It affects my relationship with my kids. It burns trust in the marriage relationship. I'm just using that as one example. Whatever. Think about that. The far-reaching effect that sin has in people's lives and, uh, you know, affecting everyone around them. So what about its effects? And what about and if you're thinking about your past sins and your past injuries? Oh, I did that when I was a kid. I did it when I was a you know a a crazy teenager. Hey, what about the people that was affected by that sin? Well, now I'm an adult. That was like 20 years ago. No, you can't think like that. What we need to understand here is that the concealment of our shame and sin is wrong. And is ultimately ineffective. I mean, as long as we, think about this, as long as we live in God's universe, we'll eventually have to deal with the reality of our sin. There are always consequences to sin. The soul that's in shall surely die. If you sow to the uh, flesh, you're going to reap corruption. You can't get away from it. It's, a, it's one of the laws that govern the universe. And if you don't experience immediate consequences for your actions and the choices that you've made in sinning, one day you'll stand before God's great white judgment throne, the great white judgment throne of Jesus Christ. Now, none of you who are Christians are going to stand there. You know, that's reserved for non-believers. But one day you're going to make, believe me, you'll, you'll, you'll stand before God and you'll have to give an account. Even as Adam and Eve were confronted in the garden, we need to turn to him now while there is still time. So listen, I don't know what's going on in your lives. I don't suspect, I I know most of you, and I don't suspect there's some secret sin going on in your life and you've been concealing it and you've been really good at concealing it up until this point. But listen, you know, nothing is hidden from God. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, all things are open and naked in his sight and whom we have to do. And, and there's, you can't conceal it from God. You might be really good at concealing it from your brothers and sisters, who may really, the truth of the matter, may not even be your brothers and sisters if you're still walking and living in sin. But best get rid of it. You know, even as in the Old Testament, when there was uh, these hallmark experiences in the Old Testament saints, you know, they would uh, take rocks and place them upon one another, and they would... Uh, like sort of build an altar which sort of stood as a memorial. And from time to time, they would go back to that place to remind themselves of what God had done and blessing them. Well, let's go on. The last painful effect of the knowledge of good and evil is fear. Is fear. Okay, so how do we attempt to escape, escape from fear? Well, you lace up your Nikes and you run as fast as you can. Let's go back to the garden. Now, let me set this up for you. The reality of Adam and Eve's sin is setting in. Just for a moment, place yourself in their shoes, in their Nikes. They're dealing with all of these emotions. They've clothed themselves with the fig leaves. Maybe they're thinking in time these feelings would subside. But this is what they didn't consider bringing into the equation they had forgotten God. And all of their attempts, you know, to, to conceal what they had just done, all of the shame, and now they're running from God, they forgot him. They forgot God. And then suddenly they hear this voice. Come out, come out, wherever you are. God comes into the garden looking for Adam and Eve, loving them. And, and you know, if you, if you have a picture in your mind of God coming in, He's got a big club in his hand. And he said, where are you guys? I'm going to teach you a lesson. No, that, that's not the God I know. And that's not the God I serve. I, I, I see him gently going into the garden, you know, and patiently. He knew where he was. They were hiding behind the shrubbery, right? Do you think God didn't know where they were? And so he's probably Adam, Eve, like the father's heart for his children, lovingly seeking after them. Notice in verse eight, we read, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they're absolutely petrified. They're clinging to each other. Their hearts are beating wildly. They run back into the shrubbery and, you know, throw this into the mix. I don't have this in my notes, but we mentioned this last time. You know, Satan was turned into the serpent. Remember we established that last time into the snake? And in his original temptation and offer, he was standing on his own two feet as he presented this temptation suggestion to Adam and Eve. And it was because of his tempting them that God pronounced the curse upon him. He was turned into that serpent and then went away, you know, on his belly, into the foliage. And it was at that point that Adam and Eve's minds were blown and probably were thinking, or at least considering, hey, maybe the same fate, you know, has been reserved for me. And so I'm sure that that was coming into play here as well. And now he's looking for us. The next thing we know, we're going to be, you know, on our bellies and like serpents or snakes, right? So they're petrified. They're clinging to each other. Their hearts are beating wildly. They run back into the shrubbery. They know he will find them out, but they are hoping he will not. Listen, think about this. This is an accurate picture of all of us apart from Jesus Christ. Isn't it true? We're running from him. You know, they should have been running to him, not from him. He hadn't changed. He didn't harm them. You know, prior to what's recorded here, everything he did was to bless them. They had only received up until this point good from his hand, but they returned evil for good and now they're running. Folks, that's always the fruit of that wrong choice that you make. You know, in Romans chapter three and verse 11, how true this is, Paul tells us there is no one who seeks God. No one who seeks God, but I'm so glad that we have a God who seeks us. The hound of heaven, right? And uh, like puppy dogs. You ever had puppies? You ever raised puppies? And, uh, you know, they're they're very playful. And they're always like nipping at your your, your pant leg. And you can't shake them. You can't get rid of them, right? And I love that way that God is described by the poets. And the hound of heaven. You know, he's always hounding us, after us, uh, to make that decision. Because he wants to bless us. He wants us to know him as a father. And uh, so none of us seek him. That's what the Bible teaches. It's Romans chapter 3 and verse 11. But praise God, he is someone who seeks after us. It's not that he's not there or can't be found. The problem lies with us. We don't seek him because we don't want to find him. We fear to stumble upon him. So we hide in whatever intellectual or psychological shrubbery we can find, if I can use that example and that expression. Think about this. Have you ever asked yourself why the Bible is so neglected? Think about that question for a moment. Let me suggest the reason why. Because God's voice is heard in the book, and it's asking the people who are reading it, where are you? Where are you? But the problem is, is where they are is in sin. And they don't want their sins to be exposed. So God's voice makes men and women uncomfortable in their sin. Okay, so what can we do? Well, we cannot undo what is done, right? You've already done it. You've made your choice. You've chosen to sin. These are laws that govern the universe. There's consequences involved here. So what can I do? I can't undo it. What needs to be done? Well, let God do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Let God do what is necessary to deal with your sin and its consequences. What's God's prescription? Jesus. Jesus is God's prescription. As God through him draws us to himself and enables us to overcome all of these things that we've been talking about, our fear, our shame, our guilt... And in turn, clothes us, not with fig leaves, but rather the righteousness of Christ. Gang, listen to me. This is knowledge. Not the carnal knowledge of good and evil that comes from doing evil, that horror, but rather the spiritual knowledge that is taught by God's Spirit to all of His people.
0: In my Father's house, there's a place for me in my father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my when you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember the ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, we see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at HarvestNYC.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, HarvestNYC.org. Again, that's HarvestNYC.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the word with us next time in my father's house.